Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. This is Amanda Steele, Mike Verna, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast, a hell of a podcast, everything wrestling, everything life. Do yourself a favor, check this out. Guys, we're back with the 531 where we bring our top five list on a particular subject, debate it down to a top three list, and then we pick a top one from that. This week, we're doing the top five defunct companies. Give you guys an idea of kind of what I'm looking at. I started off with WCW, and then I went even further back. Jim Crockett Promotions before that. I got ECW. I got WCPW, which is What Culture Pro Wrestling out of England. And then I've got World Class Championship Wrestling. Dave, what do you got? Well, I also have World Class Championship Wrestling. I got UWF Mid-South, one of my favorite promotions. Actually, quick story on UWF Mid-South. I had found them after I found NWA, AWA, and WWF, and uh, I still remember one of the things that hooked me on them was that a baby-faced Ted DiBiase, who had been a heel, was going on uh, the ramp to fight Michael Hayes, who was the Freebirds, and they were fighting on this ramp, and they were rolling down the stairs, and Jim Ross, you know I love those announcers, beating the hell out of each other, and Jim Ross is saying things like, this is the goddamnedest fight I've ever seen, these guys are beating the hell out of each other, and I, that, I still remember that, and that, that hooked me. UWF Mid-South, one of my favorites. AWA was also a uh, good promotion. Nick Bockwinkle and Kurt Henning, one of my favorite matches for the world title in that promotion. The Crockett promotion, I mean, what can you say? Flair, uh, the Horsemen, the Call-Offs. And uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, where I first saw uh, Gordon Soley. And uh, not only, uh, I had seen Barry Windham in the WF at the time, this was the first time I saw Kendall Windham, and the first time I ever saw Lex Luger. I, I think those are all great. I, I mean... I love your story about Jim Ross. I think it's nice to reflect back to when he could call a good match. Also, I think it's important now that we um, give thanks to Vince McMahon for making all of these companies defunct. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to discuss this. Right. Um, shout out to Vince. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Vince McMahon there. So I'm going to start off with Southwest Championship Wrestling. I know a lot of people are familiar with the Four Horsemen and are familiar with Tully Blanchard. 
Hmm. His father, Joel Blanchard, actually owns Southwest Championship Wrestling out of San Antonio. And that is a place where a lot of people uh, got their starts. You just saw young Shawn Michaels there. Ricky Morton was in that territory. Jose Lothario was in that territory. Just great storytelling, great wrestling. Gino Hernandez went back and forth between that territory. And then my next one on the list, the debunked, is actually the Houston territory. Believe it or not, the Houston territory was huge. And they had tremendous wrestling out of there. That's the territory that actually brought us a young Bruce Pritchard. And that was what he grew up on and enabled him to get his foot into wrestling and to be involved with the creative and then to go on to where he's become now. And Houston Wrestling just sold huge shows. And they were actually known for being one of the ones that actually paid the boys the way that they should be paid, which is probably why they went out of business. Another one is, of course, agreeing with you, World Class Championship Wrestling. They were another one out of Texas, ironically enough, Texas being that large of a state. They were out of the Dallas area. Everybody is familiar now with the Von Erics and where they came from. But they didn't just bring us great wrestling. They brought us some of the technology and some of the things that we see now. They were the first ones to use cameras actually around the ring instead of just using the one hard cam. They were excellent at actually getting more of the emotion because of the way that they filmed it. And the other big thing that they brought us was is that they were used music more for the ring entrances. So World Championship Wrestling, I mean, WCCW, World Class Wrestling, uh, mm. Texas was huge and innovative. My next one out there is actually Portland Wrestling. Portland Wrestling is where people like Billy Jack Haynes, Rowdy Piper got their start. And it was Don Owens up there in the Northwest who really pushed storylines. When you look at some of the stuff that you saw in ECW, if you go back to the mid-80s, you will see a lot of that, what we call hardcore wrestling, really start off in the mid-80s with some of the battles that they had in the Portland area. And then my final one, and I think one that we can all agree on is Florida Championship Wrestling. You just have so much talent that came through Florida Championship Wrestling. Your Dusty Rhodes, your Magnum TA was down there for a little while, believe it or not. The Grams. I mean, it, it, we don't have time to go down the whole list of everybody who wrestled in Florida Championship Wrestling. We got also a couple of listener lists. One, again, Jesse from New Hampshire. He selected ECW, AWA, UWF. He also picked a couple that we didn't, USWA. And he's a little younger than us, so he was a fan of Wrestling Society X. Wow, that's a good one, actually. And another one, uh, Sheaf from the Burnt Basement. He picked WCW, ECW, FMW out of Japan, Mid-South, and Smoky Mm. Mountain. We were talking about setting up the next one off of our list. I wasn't looking at your, your listeners' list here. Oh, okay. So we're going to take that in consideration. First off, what Mid-South is talking about? The Tennessee version or the UWF Mid-South? Because UWF was also Mid-South wrestling. He just was Mid-South. I'm going to assume it's just the whole... Okay. I would say I would that... I'd like to actually point out that you guys keep leaving the door open and these listeners keep getting involved. It's a little scary. <laughs> they keep coming in with good ideas. I don't know if this is something we can maintain. <laughs> I'm going to say based off this, though, list, though, like, I feel like UWF was on my list. 
It's on Jesse's list. Oh, but is that it? Then so maybe. Well, I know matching. We've got Florida Championship Wrestling. We definitely have that. And world, oh, class, and world class both have matching for multiple lists. Do uh, some face-offs to decide this, because we got a few that are on multiple lists. So first up, I'm gonna do ECW popped up on a couple lists. WCW popped up on a couple lists. That'll be the first face-off. Oh, uh, that's uh. Oof. Well, I mean, WCW made the biggest hit. There's no doubt. I mean, WCW brought us the NWO. But, I mean, I'll make the argument for ECW to say in terms of passion, like ECW DVDs came out years later and skyrocketed sales and did better than anything that was, like, current for, like, WWE when they were producing their own video collection. Yeah. So that, that, that fan base, there's still, there's still people, like, in Impact Wrestling in the last year or two or to do like ecw tribute shows so i mean you could argue you know you know okay so the fan base and the legacy of ecw definitely lives on but an overall impact is really no arguing what wcw did however here's where i am gonna argue wcw are they a territory well that's an interesting point right because they were this is a territory promotions right so this is just defunct promotions Whereas ECW actually was a regional base down in Philadelphia, was WCW actually regional based? So I guess the question is, well, we're saying, Joe's saying it's just defunct promotions. If it's just defunct promotions, then I mean, to me, there's no greater impact than WCW. Yeah, if it's defunct promotion, you got to put WCW on there. Mm. I just didn't think of them in that way. That's, uh, That's my bad. Right now, now, but if it's a regional thing, I would agree, right. And WCW was essentially WWF. Yeah, and ECW was what? The biggest independent promotion, the biggest an independent promotions got, and it was able to contend with two of the big hitters for a little bit of time. Oh, yeah, in terms of, like, regional promotions, yeah, ECW was able to get into the pay-per-view market. They got on uh, national TV temporarily. I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of where they started to self-destruct. But, I mean, they did have a rabid fan base. It's just, I think the promotion might not have been... Go ahead. But if we're just calling it by promotion, WCW was the largest promotion in the world in 97 and then was dead by 2001. Right. Well, that's interesting, too. So, like... So, would you say ECW had a longer run than them? Or it was about the same amount of time? Yeah. So, I I would give WCW the win on this one. Yeah, it's not technically a longer run because WCW started... In the 80s, whereas ECW didn't start until, what, 93? Yeah. 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 ECW did influence the first time that MLW chose to run. WCW wins that face-off. Now, for the second face-off, it's going to be Crockett Promotions versus Florida Championship Wrestling. I'd say two companies that existed within that golden age of wrestling when just anything they put out could be solid. I like Florida Championship Wrestling. To me, this is Crockett's hands down. The Four Horsemen, the Co-Offs, the Rock and Roll Express, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, they were absolutely on fire around this time. Did Crockett Promotions actually technically die, though, because they sold off? Well, what did Florida Wrestling do? Florida, no, Florida Wrestling just closed its doors and just went out of business, went bankrupt. Right. So the Crockett's were smart enough to get paid, I mean, you know? I mean, yeah, maybe... The, the, the difference is it was never actually called Crockett Promotions. Would it, it be... It was called the NWA. 
I was going to say, would it be better if we called it maybe Mid-Atlantic? Maybe that's more yeah, what I'm you, thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, that makes more sense. If you want to do Mid-Atlantic, but I, 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 I mean, I hate to be like worried about the titles, but mm-hmm. if you're going to do that, you just have to go by what it's actually called. Well, then it's technically, Crockett Promotions, but because we're not calling it, you know, Heyman Promotions when we talk about ECW. Right. Right. True. Uh, so yeah, okay. Well, that's a very good point then. But uh, I would go with Mid-Atlantic then. Yeah, no, Mid-Atlantic was tremendous, and absolutely, I agree 100%. Mid-Atlantic will go over Florida, even though Florida gave us a wealth of talent. I mean, you talked about it earlier, but Kevin Sullivan, Mark Lewin, Bob Cook came out of Florida. But Mid-Atlantic just reached farther. Yeah. Mid-Atlantic is what ended up being your NWA and the... WCW. In 1983, Mid-Atlantic was a small regional section of the NWA. By the time you get to 1987, uh, 86, 87, Mid-Atlantic is what you think of as the NWA. All right, so now for our last face-off, we got the UWF, Mid-South Conglomeration, we'll call it, versus uh, World Class Championship Wrestling. Mm. Ooh, me and Dave are going to disagree on this one. Yeah, I I know it's going to go UWF Mid-South on this, but... <laughs> nah, I... um. This is tough. I want to be fair. You give me your reason why World Class should be in there, because I know that's where you're going automatically. Because you're a Von Erich and Freebird mark. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, first of all, Freebirds were in both, but that's not here nor there. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. World Class, like I said before, they were just so innovative. When you talk about the stuff that we do now, those camera angles you see in the WWE, the music you see used with that throughout wrestling, that all comes from World Class Championship Wrestling. The mind behind World Class Championship Wrestling for much of the run, everybody always wants to give it to Fritz Von Erich. It's actually Gary Hart, and Gary Hart was such a great mind for wrestling and from the talent that came through. Whether it was Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair, whether it was the uh, auditorium shows, whether it, it it's just one of those things that they just were tremendously ahead of their time, and they were so smart and in their local base. Obviously, they surrounded around the tons, but they were so good at the free agents that they brought through constantly and transitioning that talent. You know, it's funny, though. Like, these two promotions kind of almost mirror image each other. Like, you talked about, like, Flair would go through Mid-South UWF, too. You know, like, because it's Mid-South slash UWF, I guess, in a way, when you think about it, right? Like, that promotion, like, Bill Watts had... Like the Junkyard Dog, he had the Freebirds. He did have the Von Erichs come in. He had Andre the Giant come in. The difference was, to me, the difference was how far the TV ranged. The best thing that WCCW ever did was their alignment with ESPN in the early days, where they were able to get that TV contract. I know everybody thinks of AWA at ESPN also, mm-hmm. but World Class was the first one to really get out there on cable television and be seen nationwide. So now this debate really comes down to, I'd say, UWF Mid-South having so much talent and so much names you'd know. Not that World Class doesn't, but on the World Class end of things, I'd say it's more their technical innovations, partnering with that Christian network to get those production values on the TV. And then, like you said, getting on to ESPN later and really getting that play yeah i guess the espn thing would kind of be the the, the factor because i'm kind of on the edge so I, yeah. i'll go with world class on this one that's fine 
Yeah, I think it's just the fact that they were seen nationwide. I take nothing away from Bill Watts. I mean, I love going back and watching the old stuff from UWF and Mid-South. I think that the matches were incredible. It's the problem was one was really seen regionally, whereas one was able to be seen nationwide. Of course, you know, one thing we're kind of not talking about here, and again, this kind of goes for both of them, when the heyday of world class, it wasn't really their world-class world champion. The heyday was when they were part of the NWA, and the same could be said for Mid-South UWF. When it became the UWF, and Terry Gordy and Bubba Rogers were the world champions, it wasn't as good as like when Flair came to the territory, per se. Although I will say this, I will match up UWF's world champions, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, and Bubba Rogers versus Al Perez and whoever else held the world-class world championship. Rick Rude and the Dingo Warrior. Okay, so it's an interesting... These guys really mirror image each other in a lot of ways. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, we'll go world-class because of the ESPN connection, though. I actually, Jesse, I got to include a story he told me one time where he was telling me how he was kicking himself in the ass that he didn't buy a belt. Because he went to a, it was a convention down in Philly, and it was a UWF belt, but it was signed by the one-man gang, I think. Yeah. And he was just like, ah, fuck for that money, I don't want to get it. Mm. And, like, even to this day, he goes, shit, man, I could have had a belt. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. Jesse brought us the list, so I had to throw in his story. One-man gang, baby. <laughs> Let's Boo! Get- <laughs> for, that, for, for that belt, I would have spent Dave's plan B money. Okay. <laughs> Let's get up to the top three. So the the <laughs> the <laughs> all right. The promotions we ended up with were WCW, Mid Atlantic, and WCCW. Mm. Who's the first to go out in this group? It's kind of tough. I mean, you could argue that WCW and Mid Atlantic almost bleed together. Because when I said Crockett earlier, I was trying to differentiate between that WCW time that I remember. You know, like late 80s, right before Nitro. To me, Mid-Atlantic is cut off in 85. I think it goes a little further than that, though. Yeah, I guess you could go into 86. But I'm pretty sure they stopped calling themselves Mid-Atlantic in around... It's got to be somewhere 85. And that might be where it gets kind of muddy, because, you know, when they start merging, you'll yeah. you see things. So who who goes first, uh, WCW, Mid-Atlantic, or WCCW? So what are we? what's the criteria here, then, I guess? The biggest impact? Uh, I'm just saying, like, top five defunct promotions. It doesn't necessarily have to be impact. No, I know. Almost like a favorite. Well, if we're going for personal okay, favorite... So- I was going to say, to me, let's just to me, I would eliminate Mid Atlantic first and then go WCCW versus WCW. And the reason why is because there is the muddying of the water there. Okay. But. Yeah, because most of the people that were in Mid Atlantic eventually made their way back to WCW. All right. All right. That's fine. All right. We'll move yeah, on. Like that, that big Paul Jones push. I mean, I do like both periods of it because Mid Atlantic. It almost feels like the more classic WCW, where sometimes if you say WCW, people are going to think Nitro, the 2000s. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, too, like if we're looking at like best promotions of all time, do you talk about a company that had the biggest impact, but it also had a very short stint on top? So I guess what I'm saying is, you know what I mean? I think it's however you could qualify it in right. an argument. Like, 
But, I would argue WCW over Mid-Atlantic because Mid-Atlantic, I have a historical appreciation for, hmm. but I grew up with the late 80s WCW Saturday night, right. and I would consider that more the standout for me. Yep. Even though like I've got the Mid-Atlantic House DVDs that Cornette released, and they're amazing. Right. But for me, WCW is where it's at. Here's the thing about Mid-Atlantic 1982-83. If you watch Mid-Atlantic from 82 to 83, you're basically watching the WWE, what's well, going to be the WWF of 1984-85. They took a lot of their talent from that Mid-Atlantic area. Your Rowdy Piper, your Sergeant Slaughter, your Bob Orton, your... They come from that area. Those are the people. Greg Valentine, Tito Santana... Jake Roberts, those are guys that came out of Mid-Atlantic that by 1984-85 are your Intercontinental Champion, your main event at WrestleMania, your, um, it, it, the list just goes on and on. So, so Mid-Atlantic definitely had an impact. Alright, so between WCW and WCCW, who takes the top spot? I gotta go with WCW. At the end of the day, they had a bigger impact. And as much as I didn't love world class, like, honestly, not even talking about the NWO period, some of my favorite WCW wrestling, if we're looking at, like, favorite, I mean, we're talking the Steiner Brothers, the Road Warriors thing with the flat top. I know most people love Crow Sting. Midnight Express. Yeah, Midnight Express. And uh, actually, that was probably Lex Luger's best area. Like, he was never the same after that time period. But, yeah, that whole time period for WCW was pretty good. Flair Funk, obviously, too. Uh, okay, so I know you're expecting me to argue WCCW, but I think you're forgetting that when it came to WWF versus WCW, I was WCW all the way. Sure. And I still consider WCW to be the greatest promotion of all time. <laughs> all right, guys, so we're ending this week with WCW on top. Once again, thanks to Sheaf from the Burnt Basement for sending in your list. And Jesse from New Hampshire, once again, another solid list. On a personal note, I would like to say thank you to those guys for sending that in. I know I bust their stones because, well, it's what I do. But we love to have the fans get interacted in it, and we love to be able to debunk them. So thank you very much for sending that in. Yep, and AJ, you take care with that snow out there. We're getting ready for it to start falling out this way. So you have a good day, man. Yep, thank you, easy, bud. You too, guys. Be careful. Bye. Hey, wrestling fans, this is Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz. When I listen to the finest podcast, I listen to the Working Fans Podcast. It is supreme, because I said so. Hi, this is Dave and AJ, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. And today we have a special treat. We have a guy who's wrestled all over. WCW, WWF at the time. Uh, you might have seen him in even Global Wrestling Federation. We are on the line with Barry Horowitz. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. I appreciate being on the podcast. I've heard a lot about it, and I'm excited. Awesome, Barry. Thank you so much. We appreciate that, man. We usually just like to get off like kind of the earliest memories. Like, If I'm correct, I think you did train with Boris Malenko. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And how was that? How was breaking in and everything? I think I've been trained by the best ever. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal 
then to get polished, you basically you're leaving the the you know the school that you're breaking into and whatnot, and you go on the road, you travel, and you're with different guys, different matches every day. So that's how you get polished. Otherwise, you won't. But the foundation of the house was built solid by Boris Malenko and his sons. That's awesome, man. That's good. And we had Bob Cook on. I think he said he was trained by Boris, too. Would you guys have been there around the same time? No, we weren't. I think I was in, I don't know if I was in the first or second class of his beginning of his school. The only ones that really made it out of our class, really, is myself and Al Perez. I mean, they just oh. did good, but I mean, as far as TV and, and travel the world and so forth. I think one of the things coming out of Boris Malenko's school that you really see is the fact that your fundamentals and your footwork and everything you did in the ring was always spot on. You were so good at something that not everybody's good at. And eventually, sometimes it can hurt a little bit. You were excellent at making other people look absolutely incredible because of your work rate. And I think that that's an awesome quality that he put into you. Amateur, uh, Barry. Barry, like yourself, I'm from Sarasota originally, and I happen to be a huge Seminoles fan. So we, so so we have a little something in common there. Did you? Exactly. Did you grow up on ta- on Florida Championship Wrestling like I did? I think that learning from those guys, um, you talk about personality and learning how to put it together, having people like your Dusty Rhodes, like your Kevin Sullivan's, having those guys in their personalities down there, just absolutely incredible. And then the athletes like Bob Roop, just amazing in that time period. Oh, absolutely. Awesome list. Awesome. I I don't think Don Morocco, to be honest with you, or Bob Orton get the credit that they deserve. I know that they both have gone into the WWE Hall of Fame, but when you look back at that work in that time period, them and the Briscoes, oh my God, those matches. Obviously, you trained with Boris. Was there anybody else, once you got started wrestling, who maybe helped you out along the way? Anybody in particular? WWF 
followed by Vince uh, Senior and Junior. Basically, I got in the car and moved up north. I lived in uh, South Jersey, Delmar, to be specific. Specific. And I called up Gorilla Monsoon at his house. <laughs> and it was back then you could do that. And he yeah. answered. And I basically just told him I was wrestling like two years. And I thought I was pulling a fast one. He probably knew better. But I would do uh, TVs at Allentown in Hamburg, Pennsylvania every three weeks. And I mean, in two days, I probably wrestled six to eight times on TV. Wow. And I mean, there was... I'm talking the who's who, Jimmy Snuka, Bob Orton Jr., Chief J. Strongbow, Bob Backlund, uh, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, Tony Gurria, Rick Martell. The list goes on and on, and you learn, and you you see these people. But after about a year, you know, you, you need to go to a territory and, and wrestle regular matches. And I would ask them senior, and I was actually supposed to go to Portland, Oregon. Jimmy Snooker was going to help me get there, but the, the territory was full, so I wound up in uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Crockett Promotions. And that was the best move, because I was wrestling five to six nights a week in the car, maybe once a, once a month we go to Canada in a plane, and six nights a week, and again, you're driving with Jimmy Valiant, Rufus R. Jones, Ric Flair, Bob mm-hmm. Orton Jr., Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, Mark Youngblood, Harley Race. I mean, the list goes on. The, the list just goes on forever. It was a hotbed there. And that's where I learned to be polished. I mean, North and South Carolina, Virginia is huge. We were probably doing 3,000 miles a week in a car. That's crazy. That's just that. That's how you learn. Everybody knows your run in WWF slash WWE, and you were known for doing a lot of enhancement work, but eventually they did an angle where you beat Skip, I believe it was, Chris Candido. Storyline in Texas where you were the winner. Did that happen first, or was that after? I'm, yeah, yeah that was Global first. was first. The winner was, um, was in Global Wrestling Federation, and Eddie Gilbert thought of that, and they gave me a decent push. I was um, a GWF light heavyweight champion. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. That's what I thought happened first. Like, I didn't even look that up. I remember that as a kid. And I was trying to think if that came first. I was wondering if you think that maybe WWE might have got that idea. Or do you know the background about how... Maybe. You... Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think there was a... No, there was a long gap between that. Like, three years. I, mean, I think they finally seen that I'm loyal. I hung in there. And I'm just more than... You know, there's some guys in this business and I'm not knocking anybody. But they're just... You know, I'm going to be a wrestler on part-time. I mean, they didn't pay their dues in the gym, or they've just lightly established as far as fundamentals. Well, plus... That wasn't me. My, my goal was to be, you know, to go further. Now, again, not everybody could be Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Jack Briscoe, Mike Grant. you got to have a 
a winner and a loser. I mean, the Patriots lost last week, two weeks ago. I mean, that, that broke my heart. But it does happen. Yeah, 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 it, it has to be. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is, and you can take it or leave it. So I, I strive for the best I can, and I think they noticed my, um, my striving and initiative and finally did something with me. But let's face it, even those superstars that you mentioned, like The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, if they don't have somebody that they can work with and tell a story in the ring, then they don't get to where they are. And without Barry Horowitz, those guys wouldn't have gotten as far as they did. Right, because they could go in there and pull off a match, and they're, they're over on TV, and that gets you only so far. And then if you have a, a, a crappy enhancement guy, it'll bury you. If you don't sell that tombstone right, if you don't do this right, if you got a crappy ref, remember now, he's the third man, that could kill a match. So, if you have somebody like myself, or uh, I'm just thinking, you know, people like Tim Horner, Brad Armstrong, Reno Riggins, Ben Jordan, you have guys like that, the match gets over. Not Barry, not Sean, the match gets over. That's, that's what a lot of people miss. You also, Barry, had something that a lot of enhancement talent did not have in that time period. I love Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong, obviously, one of the great workers of all time. But you had something that Brad had behind the scenes but didn't have in front of the camera. And that is personality. When you got into that ring, the crowd actually knew who you were. And you were able to actually bring them emotionally into the story. Even when you were playing a bad guy or whether you were actually playing the face, you were able to actually bring them along, which is something a lot of enhancement talent didn't have. No, well, you got to understand, they didn't because they're not in it like I would, how I invested to be in it. This is my dream. This is what I've been wanting to do since I'm 15. So between being an athlete, being an amateur athlete, working out, studying films, doing things, taking this from that instead of copying people exact, if you do all that, it, it's got to spell success. It has to. It's foolproof. Yeah, and I think that's why you garner the respect in the business that you still garner. Anybody, anybody who's ever worked with you, uh, I was lucky enough to work up and down the East Coast, and anybody who I've ever met along the way who's ever worked with you, nothing but good things to say about your professionality and what you were able to do. That's what I'm about. And it's not an act. It's not like I have to go, okay, you got to be this today. You gotta, this is me. This is real. If you ask me to do the opposite, oh my God, it would mess up my life. I would have to work. I would, I would have to go... I got a question for you. The pat on the back, like, it was over. For, like, you know, being a guy who's doing mostly enhancement work, when I was a kid, you stuck out because of that, though. That was something that stuck out. Was that something you just thought off off the cuff, or how did that come about? It kind of stemmed from one of my amateur matches. I, I, I don't know why I did it. I don't know what I was thinking. Remember now, it was only probably when that happened. Was, uh, I probably was 16 or something on the wrestling team, and I did it after... I um I think I was I, I outpointed the guy and, and was and, and won and I did that and of course I got disqualified for that and no kidding. the coach so I put that in the back pocket and I never forgot it and I said now's the time to take it out of that pocket you're an established heel let's give this sucker a try and a run that's awesome man you know and I, it worked. yeah. 
It did. I mean, it it's... only worked. It only worked because if you're a wrestling, and I emphasize wrestling. That's what it says on the outside of these buildings on the marquee. It says wrestling. Doesn't say anything else. If you're a wrestler, a, a technical wrestler, and a heel, and you do something like that, oh my God, it makes you go from chicken shit to chicken salad. Hope I'm allowed to cuss on there. Oh yeah, you can say whatever you want here. No worries, Barry. So anyway, that's what it does. So between my arrogance, my heel, my psychology, you do all of that, my look, my moves, the amateur moves, the pro moves, the solid working, then you throw in the pat on the back, you're done. It's complete. The formula is done. I think that that's one of the things that's missing from today's modern wrestling is the focus on the wrestling. It's become way too much sports entertainment with storylines like what's going on in the WWE right now and stuff of that nature. It's got to get back to focusing on the wrestling like you did. What are your thoughts on the modern product? Uh, I, I watch when I have time. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I flip different channels, different shows and stuff. And, and I don't mind the entertainment because that's a part of it. You can't knock that at all. You just got to be careful how to mediate it. But I'm the type of guy if he's flipping and I watch some, you know, some stuff and I can see faults and so forth. I, I point it out in my head. It keeps me active. It's like reading a book and what have you. But if I'm flipping the channels and I see a match, and I'm just going to use this one for an example. I saw it a couple of years ago. I'm going to stop and watch the whole thing from beginning to end. And I really like this match. It was really cool. It's just to my head so there's many of them but I'm going to use this one for an example and it was Kurt Angle against Jay Lethal and I think it was in TNA or Impact that was a hell of a wrestling match 100%. That was absolutely a tremendous match. To see two athletes like that, I'd take the wrestling seriously, tell a story in the ring. People forget that even though it's sports entertainment now, if you tell a story through your wrestling and play to the crowd and do the right things, you can be as entertaining as anything out there without having to go gaga on the storylines. Speaking of uh, AEW, uh, you know, they had that big pay-per-view a couple weekends ago, and uh, you were part of the uh, StarCast panel for that weekend. How was that? Thursday night, and I um, went to the ring with Cole Cabana, 
my new friend. <laughs> really good guy. And it was a tag team match, and it was really cool. And then we did some online uh, online interviews. Also, from there, we went to, you know, uh, the next day was StarCast. And not only did I do my meet and greet, but we they had a forum on the stage, which a couple, a bunch of different segments had it, but we were one of the early ones where four different enhancement guys were introduced. I was last, and we were interviewed by Cole Cabana. And then all of us came out together, and we did a Q&A. This thing went on for at least an hour, and it was really cool because, um, you know, it was just, it was a little bit different thing. There was a lot of shooting going on and stuff. And, uh, you know, today's fan, you're, you're, you're a good, smart wrestling fan. You don't want to try to fool them because it's not cool. You know, if you start, you know, lollygagging and start defending certain things, I mean, there's certain things that they don't need to know about or you don't need to discuss, that's fine. But if you try to cave them or, or do something like that, they know better. They're, they're the audience, but they're almost part of it. They know better. One other thing I wanted to ask you too, Barry, was like, like I said before, we had Bob Cook on, and mm-hmm. what do you think it is? Like, I mean, a lot of the enhancement guys are really good at talking and telling stories too, but it's not like you guys necessarily got a lot of mic time in the major friends, but you come off like so polished and just great storytellers. Just, you think there's something mm-hmm. to that? Yeah, the mirror helps a lot with that. Also, uh, people forget that you came in at the end of the territory days and you were lucky enough to come in in a time period where you were still working the crowd on those independent dates. And when you have those independent dates, it's not like being on TV for WWE for five minutes. You were having an opportunity to work the crowd, talk to the crowd, have interviews. And I think a lot of the modern fans forget that. We're doing a special uh, holiday episode coming up, Barry, for Thanksgiving, too. And so we've been asking all our guests this. Is there anything in particular you're thankful for, whether it's wrestling, personal, whatever you want to talk about is fine? As far as, yeah, there's a, a couple of things. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful to be uh, healthy and mending. I was injured for about a year or two. I'm healthy to be back in the gym six days a week. I'm happy for my, my career. I'm happy for my, my wife and son. I'm thankful for everything for that. And just... You know, it pays to get up in the morning. I'm, I'm happy to be upright. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, and I'm just, uh, I'm hoping more good things to come. The, the, to end the chapter on my career, I've been doing the meet and greets. Um, there's no reason for me to get in the ring anymore. I, I paid my dues, but my, my biggest goal at the top of my mind, if you said what's right now, I definitely hard, uh, hardcore pursuing to work for the PC Center in Orlando. Uh, that'd be awesome. I think you be- I think you belong there, and if they're not smart enough to put you down there to help out with those kids, yep. that's their mistake, quite frankly, Barry. I, I'm uh, not trying to put myself over, but they're 
you're missing the boat, not hiring me. I don't care if you work me six days, five days, two days. I can contribute something. And if I can't, get rid of me. Oh, I agree 100%. And working for that company for junior and senior, and it's not like I want a showboat. I want to help. I want to, you know, that's my forte is, is seminars, teaching, you know, you're amateur, you're professional, you're just, some guys don't even know how to get in the ring or grab a headlock to this day. Yeah. They think they do. Uh, look at Larry Zabisco. Larry Zabisco would have matches that would last 12 minutes and only two of it was in the ring. Yeah. Larry Zabisco's cool. I like Larry Zabisco. Oh, yeah. one of the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, like his, I like his mindset. He appreciates good wrestlers. And the fact of the matter is, we only get so many bumps on our bump card. Why use more than we have to in the time that we have to? Mm-hmm. That's true. Is there anything you want to promote or talk about, man, before we, we go? I think we need to start a hashtag, Barry Horowitz, H-O-F. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's been started already, guys. 
There uh, we go. We're getting out of too. Awesome, Barry. Thank you so much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, Barry. Thank you for your time. That was great. Uh, I'm glad we did this. Sir. No problem. I'll message you when this airs. It should be on in the next two weeks or so. Oh, cool. Well, thanks, guys, and I appreciate you calling me. All right, no uh, problem, thank Barry. Thank you, Barry. We'll talk to you down the road. Have a great day. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 